Well, thank you for praying for us. It was obvious that there were people praying. Uh, and there were students that made the commitment to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of camp. Uh, that's true. My cabin, some of them are here right now. So it's good stuff, I'll tell you what. So my, my uh, takeaway was kind of silly. Um, I, I picked a silly one first that uh, second and third grade boys have a lot of energy. Um, but I've got another takeaway that is probably be my, my real takeaway. Uh, I haven't been a camp counselor for a while. It was actually before COVID, and of course camps were, you know, not happening for a year. And, and uh, I've been camp counselor a lot in my life. In the past 17 years while here at Bertha, um, I've been a camp counselor a lot. But it hasn't been a while. It's been over three years since I've been a counselor. And uh, as I've been sharing with you, and as you have also lived with in the past three years, it's been a tough three years. And I have, I have questioned whether or not I, I could still do it. And I'm not talking about my own strength. Like, is God still going to show up? You know what I'm saying? Because I was tired. I've been tired. Have you been tired? We've been searching for joy, right? In Philippians. But I've been tired. And I, I, uh, I kind of had a feeling that God was telling me I was supposed to go, but I was kind of thinking, that probably isn't right. So I kept telling Pastor Sarah, we need to keep advertising for one more male counselor. Because I'm not sure... I'm not sure that, well, what I said to Sarah was, I think God's calling someone else, but what was really happening was, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to do it. I felt God saying I should go a long time ago, but I didn't have the confidence to know I could get all the way through junior camp. Do you have any idea what it takes some of you to do to be a counselor at something like junior camp? Uh, I was trying to figure out a good metaphor I think I, I, I landed on this. Being a counselor at junior camp is, you know, some people say it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, right? Being a counselor at camp is a sprint and a marathon. That's the way I would say it. It's exhausting. It's it's like you don't there's no there's no break. Like you're trying to figure out when can I take a shower? Like you're just trying to figure it out. When can I take a shower? Because if I take a shower, what are those eight boys going to be doing? Right? Come on. So it's like you're trying to figure out. So you've got to wait for the right moment. You've got to wait. It's exhausting. My takeaway is that God is sufficient to give a person the energy to do ministry like that. Even when you don't think you can and I didn't. I thought I was done. I didn't think I had the energy to do it. That's my takeaway. And that leads right into my sermon. I've only got 20 minutes. I have to make this happen. We're going to end our search for joy in Philippians today. And a few of you are haven't been here for the other sermons we've had in Philippians. Today, we are ending our series in Philippians. So if you want to take your Bible out, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. But I just want to remind you what we've learned in the past nine Sundays, and now this is the tenth Sunday. We've learned in our search for joy that joy begins with humility. That Christians partnering together bring joy. The gospel advancing 
brings joy. Joy and unity go together. Suffering for Christ brings joy. Joy is found when we put others above ourselves. Joy is found when we daily submit our lives to Jesus and become light bringers. Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard. Joy in action is a safeguard. And last week we learned anxiety is defeated by rejoicing. Now something I, I guess I didn't expect was that all nine of those would have to be put into practice to survive junior camp. <laughs> and I did survive, but only by the grace of God. Would you pray with me as we open God's word? Lord, we come to your word with expectation, hoping that you will be sufficient, hoping that you will inspire your word to us. We know your word is inspired, but we also now ask for the inspiration that only comes through you, Holy Spirit, speaking to us out of your word to penetrate our heart and our minds so that we might put into practice what you're telling us. Do that now, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. Would you read with me? I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Amen. Jason Caleb, was that too fast? Were you guys able to follow? Because in devotion time, you said, when you read scripture in church, I can't follow along fast. You read too fast. Yeah, they're back there. <laughs> what a strange ending to the letter. If you were listening to that letter, I hope you were processing it as I was reading it quickly. In such a way to recognize that that was a weird ending to Philippians. So, why was it so weird? Well, 
Paul was thanking them for the gift they had sent. And if you've been with me through the entire study of Philippians, you know that Epaphroditus was from Philippi. They had sent Epaphroditus to Paul with a gift because Paul was in prison. And so Epaphroditus came to, to bring encouragement, but also to bring tangible gifts for him surviving in prison. Uh, in, in Rome, if you're in prison... They didn't supply you with what you needed. So if you didn't have somebody on the outside that was giving you food and supplies, you probably died in prison. Okay? So maybe our prison system looks a little better than you thought. So, like, these gifts were important for Paul. But of course, you know from reading uh, Philippians that Epaphroditus actually got sick and he almost died, and so Paul's sending him back to them with this letter. And now he ends the letter saying, thanks for the gift. Is that what he said? Were you listening to what I just read to you? I think you probably were, but I was reading fast. Thanks for the gift. Sort of. That's the end of Philippians. Thanks for the gift, sort of. It's so strange. Why doesn't Paul just say thank you? Because here's my paraphrase of what I read. Thank you for the gift, but I didn't need it. But I'm thankful for it. Because it shows that your faith is becoming complete. And that God is bringing to completion the good work that he began in you. Why, is, why that response? Why didn't Paul just say thank you? Like, wouldn't that have been enough? Like, just... Thanks for the gift. Thanks for sending Epaphroditus. You guys are great. Love it. Peace out. That was it. Like that. I mean, Paul could have said that. He, he could have just said that. I always get interested because sometimes we read Scripture and we've read it so many times that we just skip over the fact that this is a letter. Paul could have written it differently. He could have just said, thanks for the gift. But he didn't. Why? Well, there's a few reasons why. One of the reasons is that back in Paul's day, there used to be people that would dress up in a toga, and they would stand on the street corner, and they would do philosophy. And if people came and liked what they said, they would give them money, and so then they would say more. And if people came and listened to them but didn't give money, sometimes the philosophers would badmouth them publicly. <laughs> it was like a common practice in ancient Rome. So these people were peddling philosophy for money. That's what they were doing. They were using words as weapons. And if, if you didn't support them, they would use the weapons against you. They expected you to give them money. So part of this is that Paul wanted them to know, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not doing this for the paycheck. That's part of what Paul wanted to say, because he didn't want there to be misunderstanding, you see. He didn't want them to think, oh, here's just another person getting money. You see, Paul faced a very difficult task. And this is a quote um, from uh, a commentator. In Philippians 4, 10 through 20, therefore, Paul faces the difficult task of showing the Philippians his genuine appreciation for their financial support, both past and present, but of also showing that his work is neither dependent on nor, nor motivated by that support. Did you get that? 
So he wanted to say thanks, but he also needed them to know that it wasn't the gift that was causing him to do it. You see? Now, you need to understand, this is precisely the same issue the church faces today. Precisely the same issue. You know, when we do the tithes and offerings time, it's always a little bit of a sensitive moment, especially if there's people that have never been to our church before. How are they going to handle the offering? Oh, they're going to expect me to put something in there, and I'm going to have to make a big deal about making sure I put a dollar bill in you know, because I need to make sure that everybody around me sees that I put money in the offering bill. It's why I say that same thing every Sunday, that for if you've been here for a little while, you'll probably enjoyed by it by now. Right? If you're visiting with us today, please do not feel obligated to put anything in the offering plate. We just want this service to be a gift to you. If you've been here a while, that's annoying to you. But if you're visiting or have never been it communicates something important, doesn't it? So I'm going to keep saying it, and you're going to keep being annoyed, but hopefully people who are visiting will feel more comfortable that this is about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't need our money. You know, God created everything. He created everything. Do you think he needs your money to be successful in his endeavor? He does not. He does not. So, Paul needs to communicate with this church that he loves, that he, he's thankful for their gift, but he needs to remind them, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm thankful that you sent me this aid in prison, but God will sustain, will sustain me. And if you did not send this gift, God would have sustained me in a different way. But then Paul also says, but you giving that gift was important. Why? Well, that's what we're getting into. It's just, I just want to pause and just say that there's a whole lot of people out there, many of them that don't believe in Jesus, but some of them that do. There are a lot of people that, that would say, if you ask them, are you a Christian? They'd say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then you say, do you go to church? And they'll say, no. And you'll say, okay, if you, if you got this far in the conversation, you might ask them, why don't you go to church? And they'll say, because all they want is my money. There are a lot of people out there that that is exactly why they don't come to church. And I think that that's, it's, it's so valid now when you think about what Paul is saying here. Paul is right. Paul is right. You don't have to give money. And the church is not about getting money. That, that's not our deal. It's just not. Now, do we need resources, both money and time, and, and to, to do the ministry that we feel God's calling us to do? Of course! But that's not even close. It's not even close to, to the primary goal of what we're trying to do here. If we stay focused on God and do what God is calling us to do, that part will take care of itself as every individual believer is listening to the Holy Spirit and giving out of what God has called them to do cheerfully. Right? Now, there's some really cool stuff that happens here. You see, that dilemma that Paul is facing, that dilemma of saying thank you without giving people the impression 
that the gift itself was the motivating factor. You see that? That's what Paul's dealing with here. And it's important enough to end the letter. So you, you might be kind of like, what, why is this that... It's, it's, I'm just saying this is what Paul wrote, not me. I mean, it's important enough that he, he ended it this way. So look at verses 17 and 18. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment, and even more. I am amply supplied, now that I have received from Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Interesting. He pulls in Old Testament sacrificial language to make this point, which is so interesting because entire other books of the New Testament that Paul wrote are dedicated to Paul saying, you don't have to do the Old Testament stuff anymore. Like, read Galatians and Romans. That the whole point of those books is you don't have to do sacrifices anymore. And read the entire book of Hebrews, which may or may not have been written by Paul, but it doesn't matter. The entire book of Hebrews, Jesus is the sufficient and final sacrifice for sin. That's the whole book of Hebrews, basically. So, why in the world does Paul bring up your gifts are a fragrant offering, a sacrifice? Why would he do that? Well, I think it's fair to say, and I think that this is very important, Paul is not saying that your gifts are what qualify you for heaven. This is not a salvation issue. Many people want to make it a salvation issue. It's not. We are not saved by whether or not we give to churches or ministries or camps. This is not what saves you. It's not. So why do we do it? Well, this is the, the interesting dichotomy we've got going on. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Like it's important. It's not a salvation issue, but it's super important. What does that mean? Let me, let me give this a try. Giving to the work of the kingdom of God and the spreading of the gospel is as much or more about the spiritual capital the giver receives by giving the gift, as it is the practical use of the gift by the receiver of the gift. Now that was complicated. Let me try to help you out. When you give a gift, it does something to strengthen your relationship with God. It does something in you when you give to the kingdom of God and to the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Giving is about offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. But again, that's not about somehow that like covers your sin. Giving money or giving resources to a ministry or to the kingdom of God does not cover your sin. So what does it do? Well, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning of Philippians. Look at this. Look at these verses. Philippians 1, verses 5 and 6. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Try this out for size. Now Paul, very specific, if you actually go look at the first section of Philippians and this last section, they're like paralleled. Like they go right down the line. But go back and look at that on your own. Giving is not a salvation issue. 
Okay? We are not saved by giving. But listen to this. Giving is a salvation completion issue. Now, don't get all theologically crazy. I'm not talking about a word salvation. I'm using the words of Paul. Listen to what Paul says. <coughs> giving is a salvation completion issue. Because we are saved, we give to the work of the kingdom of God. We don't give to the work of the kingdom of God to be saved. We give because we are saved. And, and the act of doing this is part of the completing work of salvation. You might call that sanctification if you want to use a technical word. It's part of the completing work of salvation in your life. Ephesians 2, 10 is one of my favorite passages. Remember, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is all about salvation is by faith through grace, right? That it's not by works, so that none by books. But then people always leave off verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God already prepared you to do good works that he's already got ready to go. Like they're in the hopper. Like, good things to do. Like, be a counselor at camp. Be a counselor at IYC. Serve in a food shop. Be a release time teacher. I mean, and those are just in the church. Man, there's all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of stuff. God has got like a list of stuff ready for you. And those things are the completing work of salvation. Do you see, this is what Paul's saying. You may have noticed that I skipped over a few verses in our passage today. Again, like last week, this was on purpose. We needed to understand Paul's wider purpose in the conclusion of this letter. To truly understand what he says in one specific verse that is very well known and often quoted. And that's verses 11 through 13. If you've been a follower of Christ for decades... When I earlier read verses 11 through 13, my guess would be that you felt a wave of comfort and familiarity sweep over you when I read this verse. Let me read them again. You will recognize them. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Christians that have been followers of Christ for decades, that is like a comforting balm upon your life. It's very well known and very often quoted. The Bible says that I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So, that must mean that I can be the starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers and win a Super Bowl next year, right? I probably could start the play. No, this is not what this verse means. I can throw a football pretty well, and I can throw a frisbee pretty well. So, I don't think that that's correct. 
Am I taking that verse out of context when I do that? Because I think Christians, although this is a very soothing verse, I think that Christians take this one out of context. Think about it. When's the last time you realized that that verse was right in the middle of Paul saying, thanks for the gifts, but I didn't need it? When's the last time you thought about that? It's right in the middle of this. It's right in the middle of Paul saying, thanks, but I didn't need it. Didn't realize that, did you? But see, if you just pull that out of context, and you're at junior camp and you're a counselor, and you read that verse, and then the kids say, so you could be quarterback for the Green Bay Packers and win a certain bowl. You're just going to go, because it's not meant to be taken out of context. So what does it mean? Well, remember, this is in the context of Paul thanking the Philippians for the gifts, but he also needed to let them know that his strength was not dependent on their gifts. Also remember that Paul is writing this letter while sitting in prison, waiting for a trial, of which the outcome could very well be his execution. That is where Paul is writing this letter. And if that isn't enough, there was a group of people who were preaching Christ in the same town he was in prison in that were opposed to him. Reference sermon number one of this series. I think we get stuck on the word do. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I might suggest that there's another way of saying this that allows the context of what Paul is saying to make us understand this better. Replace just one word there. And by the way, this is doable in Greek. The word in Greek for do can be replaced with another word. Endure. I can endure everything through him who gives me strength. I love the way that Eugene Peterson in the message um, translates this. I'm going to read this from the message. Verses 10 to 14. I'm glad in God, far happier than you would ever guess. Happy that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, whatever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Wow. That fits the context. The Christian life is not all daisies and sugar plums. Some of you realize that, don't you? Sometimes people are led to believe that the Christian life is just going to be easy. It's not. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. Are we surprised at that? We shouldn't be. 
The person we call our Lord and Savior told us it would be that way. John 16.33 I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I mean, our Savior told us it's not going to be easy. Philippians is a letter of living a joyful, meaningful, and victorious life by the power of Jesus in the middle of a difficult and painful world. That's what it is. The hardships of life are not to be avoided at all costs by followers of Jesus. Like, I think that we think we're supposed to avoid any suffering we possibly can. Like, if, it's, if there's anything that's painful or difficult, take every step you can to avoid it. I almost did. I really didn't want to be a counselor. It's going to be painful. I know what it's like to sleep on those horrible bunks. Yeah, kids don't think it's horrible. Try being 225 to sleep on them. Not very easy. Painful. Can't walk. The next day. And then, let's play frisbee. You know, this is such an important lesson for us to learn today. We're not facing the persecution the same way Paul did. We're not in prison for speaking about Jesus. We're not in danger of going hungry because we're in a Roman prison in which food is not provided. Right? In fact, I think we're actually facing an opposite danger. The danger of affluence. That's the opposite of what Paul is talking about. The danger has been around for thousands of years, and it's summed up very well by a proverb from probably about a thousand years before Jesus. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? You see, when we have money, and by the way, everybody in here has money. If you've ever bought a book, you're richer than half the people in the world. Okay? You got money. When we have money, we are always going to be tempted to rely on our money instead of on God. Jesus spoke about the power of money often. I mean, one of the most famous is Matthew 6.24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Money has the power to take on a divine status in our life. Money can be an idol. The thing we rely on instead of God, money. As such, followers of Jesus need to be constantly aware of money's power to become an idol. A commentator says it well. The believer who possesses wealth should be wary of money's ability to gain the upper hand. Man, that is powerful. Money is always looking to gain the upper hand in the idol category, in the who are you worshiping category. And Paul knows this as he ends his letter to Philippians. So if I could just sum this up, this final section of Philippians, I'm going to suggest Paul is giving us the antidote to money being an idol. There's two things. Number one, Paul recognizes that the gift the Philippians gave him 
is not the source of his hope and salvation. It was helpful, but he didn't need it. Ultimately, Paul recognized that his only need is God. Number two, the Philippians, on the other hand, demonstrated their proper understanding of the place of money by simply being willing to give it to the cause of the kingdom. The simple act of giving defeats the power of money in your life. Do you see that? The simple act of giving it to the kingdom of God defeats the idol worship of it. Because, like I say every week, it's not ours. It's God's. And we, when we give every week, it's like a reminder. That's right, this isn't mine. That's right, I didn't earn this by the sweat of my brow. I earned this because God has blessed me. And it's His, and I'm just managing it for Him. That's right. And that's why we continue to receive tithes and offerings every week. Some churches have stopped doing it, because you can just do it online. And it's just that awkward feeling. No way, man! That's super important, because it is an act of worship. It's that weekly reminder, it's not mine, it's God's. So, when it all gets done, oh, wow, I'm ten minutes past, I'm supposed to be. Sorry, kind of got out of roll there. When it all gets done, and we end this whole letter of Philippians, I want, to, I want to remind you of what I said the first sermon. Whenever you read a New Testament letter, one of the questions you have to ask, and you have to understand, to truly understand a letter in the Old Testament, you must be able to do this. You must be able to explain why was the letter written. So here we go. Why did Paul write this letter? I think there were three reasons. Number one, he wanted to let the Philippians know how he was doing in prison. Because he loved them, and they loved him. Number two, he wanted to thank the Philippians for sending Epaphroditus and the monetary gift to support Paul in prison, but also making sure that the gift itself didn't cause a misunderstanding of the place of money in the kingdom of God and the promotion of the gospel. Okay? So it's a letter of thanksgiving. A letter of information and a letter of thanksgiving. And then, of course, number three. Paul wanted to encourage the Philippians in their growth in Christ with an emphasis on joy and Christian unity. They go together. Specifically calling out two women who needed to be called out. That's why he wrote the letter. And so here we are. I've added two now. The last two in our search for joy. I said that there was nine at the beginning of this message. And now I'm going to say all eleven. And we're going to be done. Joy begins with humility. Christians partnering together bring joy. The gospel advancing brings joy. Joy and unity go together. Suffering for Christ brings joy. Joy is found when we put others above ourselves. Joy is found when we daily submit our lives to Jesus and become light bringers. 
Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard. Anxiety is defeated by rejoicing. And now the last two. Number ten. Contentment is found in Jesus, not our circumstances. And number eleven. It is Jesus who gives us strength to difficulties of life with joy. I leave you now with Philippians 4.13 from the message. If this becomes a part of who you are, your life and everybody around you will be different in a good way. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything the one who makes me who I am. Let's be joyful. Thank you, Jesus, for these incredibly powerful words. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the strength to endure. Compared to what Paul endured, Lord, I am almost ashamed to think that I didn't think that I could endure being a counselor at Junior Camp. And yet, it felt almost overwhelming. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask that this group of believers would break through the anxiety and the depression and whatever is lingering from our last three years, and may we move forward in joy and with rejoicing as the kingdom of God has moved forward in this place and as people's lives are changed by the light that shines from us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.